Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 21st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, Mercedes gives us a preview of what we can expect from Joe Biden's first trip to Canada as president to meet with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. March 21st marks the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. We catch up with Andrea Gunraj from the Canadian Women's Foundation to discuss the significance of the day and what more can be done to help combat discrimination in Canada. And finally, remember the good old days of heading to the video store to rent a movie, browsing the aisles for new releases, picking up some treats at the candy counter before you leave the store? Our gadget guy Mike Yanni brings us details on how one big name in the video rental business may be making a comeback. U.S. President Joe Biden set to arrive in Ottawa Thursday for an official visit to Canada. President Biden and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will have a conversation about how to work together domestically and internationally. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, spoke with Kirsten Hellman, Canadian Ambassador to the U.S., about what to expect from the visit. And Mercedes joins us now to break down that conversation and more on the latest episode of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Now, uh, you know, Biden and Trudeau, they've met many times before. So what makes this un- upcoming meeting this week different from the past ones, Mercedes? So there's a few things. Um, the really sort of interesting thing about this one is it's actually President Biden's first visit to Canada. Um, it used to be that American presidents would come to Canada first. That has clearly changed because we're now into talking about, you know, re-election of the president and, and the next presidential cycle. Um, but President Biden is now coming to Canada. This is his first official State visit. He's going to be addressing Parliament. He's the first president to do so since Barack Obama because Donald Trump um, never made an official visit to Canada. He came up and was here um, as part of the G7, but that that was not the same as uh, you know a bilateral visit um, with Prime Minister Trudeau. And we're also expecting that this is just really a meeting that's coming at a time when there's great urgency in the Canada-U.S. relationship. And that goes from everything with the economy and concerns about what's happening with U.S. banks um, to what's happening with some of their Buy American provisions that could exclude Canadian companies to the fact that, you know, President Xi is in Russia saying that China is going to oversee the present world order and ensure that it is maintained in sort of this increasingly um, what many experts are almost seeing is like a modern second cold war Um, so there's just so many pressures on the relationship right now that matter for where Canada fits in the world because we we are so affected by the American economy um, and by America's ability to defend North America as we saw with the balloons it's not going to be Canada going it alone when it comes to defense of this country we don't have the ability to do so Um, so this is important face time for the Prime Minister to get with the president it has been a much more stable and predictable relationship um, than it was with the Trump presidency and certainly a friendlier one however um, Canada really has been a bit on the back burner at times for for this administration Um, Prime Minister Trudeau does not have the relationship with President Biden that he had with President Obama for example I was at the White House uh, when he met with President Obama and the vibe is very different than it was between he and Biden he and Biden it's friendly uh, but you know Canada has been excluded but from that that new um, security pact involving nuclear submarines it's it's a much more functional relationship. So this is important face time at a pretty critical time in both North American and international relations for Justin Trudeau to have to sit down with Joe Biden um, and try to get Canada on the agenda for him. 
Absolutely. Hey, in, in the West Block, you did speak with Kirsten Hellman, Canadian ambassador to the United States, covering a lot of these topics and what potentially will be on the agenda. One thing that stood out to me was defense spending and our responsibility, opening the wallets as Canadians, or more so the government, um, as far as how that does affect the balance of our relationship with the U.S. What did she say about that? She basically um, surprised me a little bit with her answer because we know the Americans have been frustrated with Canadian defense spending. We're not at 2% uh, of GDP, which is what you're supposed to spend for NATO. And people think that's money to NATO. It's not. It's actually just money spent on your own defense. It's supposed to be about 2% of your GDP. The Liberals have made some promises to spend more, uh, but a lot of critics and some of the the American senior sources I've talked to have said, look, you're you're still nowhere close. It's still problematic. Um, The slowness on renewing NORAD has been a major issue. We saw with the balloons why NORAD is so important for defending North American um, interests in Canada and the United States. You saw that you really can't protect your own Arctic at this point. Um, so these are these are things you need to think about investing in. And, and what Ambassador Hillman said was that essentially Anita Anand um, is very respected in the United States. She's got a good relationship with Lloyd Austin, who's the U.S. Secretary of Defense, that that has made a difference. But there have been promises to spend uh, on uh, NORAD and on other things, and that that is being seen in the U.S. as starting to make a difference. The decision to undertake a defense review has made a a difference. Uh, You know, sort of a key fact on that that I'm told by defense sources, though, is that it has been deliberately pushed to pass the budget. So we won't see that likely reflected, uh, whatever's in that review in this defense cycle. But essentially what uh, Ambassador Hill was saying is, yes, this has been a big issue, but it looks like Canada's changing gears and the Americans like that. Don't think that this will not be a big issue, though. I'm hearing from American sources um, when the president is up here um, that they, this will really be something they want to make sure that Canada is committing to. And one sort of awkward part of this is that it's expected the president could ask Canada to lead a mission in Haiti. And our chief of the defense staff has said, we don't have the capacity really to do that right now. We could, but it will be just be so, so stretched uh, because the military is spread so thin right now. So how do they respond to that? Because they want to keep Joe Biden happy, uh, but your own defense chief is saying you may not be able to do it. And one interesting hint that Ambassador Hillman gave is that what Haiti is saying they'd really like help with is the police. So perhaps we'll see the RCMP stepping up on that uh, to a degree more than the military. Let's switch gears a bit, and obviously you cover a lot of ground on the West Block, including the Silicon Valley bank collapse down south. Now, we've talked to experts on the program who had indicated to us that, you know, we're fairly insulated and we have a more, you know, well-structured system on our side of the border. Uh, But what did you hear on your program? Are there vulnerabilities, or is it just the, the case that we're so tied to the U.S. that we could feel the ripple effect from the SVB collapse? Exactly. It's, it's more the latter of just, we're so tied. I mean, $2 billion a day in trade. Um, obviously, whatever happens to the U.S. economy has an effect here. And, and Canada, like many other countries, is dealing with challenging economic circumstances right now, right? I mean, everybody knows groceries and gas are expensive. Your mortgage has gone up if you're on a variable rate. It's tough to find housing. Uh, inflation has been a serious issue. And while there's been good employment, uh, most jobs haven't had salaries that keep pace with that inflation. That more is the risk, according to the former parliamentary budget officer, Kevin Page, and Lisa Raitt, who's with CIBC, and of course, a former um, Harper cabinet minister. Uh, our banks here, as you mentioned, are different. And they're, they're larger, they're regulated differently, and, and they would not have been allowed in Canada to take on that much leverage risk with their lending. They would have to have far more assets and things that they could seize uh, in order to prevent that from happening. So our banks are not going to start going 
going down in the same way because they don't have the same risks. But what they're essentially saying is we're still realistically on on what Kevin Page described as a bit of a precipice. It could go either way. Uh, And those are things that the government has to take into account, you know, potential recession going into this budget. And so it's a bit of a tough budget to do. They are saying fiscal restraint. They're also saying that they're going to spend for Canadians. Uh, so it, it's a change in tone from the fall, which was much more about fiscal restraint. But we also have seen some significant economic issues um, since that was released. I haven't heard them talking about a balanced budget again since the fall. So I'll be really interested to see where that goes. And I was kind of shocked, Mercedes, that, you know, it circled the calendar March 20. It's one week from today. So I think we're going to start to, you know, hear some details coming out. Is that what you and your colleagues are expecting over the next few days? Yeah, and Christian Freeland, um, the Deputy Minister, Prime Minister, pardon me, and Minister of Finance, gave a speech yesterday, and she talked about that. And she again underlined fiscal restraint, but there's obviously clearly going to be uh, some pocketbook things in here for families as well. And there's some things the government could put off. For example, the tax on beer and wine is about to go up. Is that something they're going to want to do politically? That's an automatic thing, by the way. It's not something that they've uh, decided to do suddenly. But uh, folks have been calling them on them for that. So, you know, do you do you increase taxes? maybe not at this time. We'll see what they do with that for revenue. This is a government that historically has been willing to take significant deficits and debt on. However, they have been signaling that they were trying to end that time. So they have a real political calculus here, to be frank, at the end of the day. The NDP is who's supporting them, uh, and they know that pocketbook issues get them elected um, and can be very dangerous for them with the Tories because the Tories are seen by voters in polls as being stronger on the economy. Um, So I, I think that this might be a bit of a moving target, but they don't have very long, as you said. Uh, one week away, we've got Biden and budget back-to-back in Ottawa. Uh, so they will be deciding how to move forward on this. Busy week uh, for you, Mercedes. We covered a lot of ground this morning, and I'm thinking next Tuesday will be very similar. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. March 21st marks International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. The theme of... The International Day this year focuses on the urgency of combating racism and racial discrimination. Joining us to discuss the importance of the day is Andrea Gunraj, Vice President of Public Engagement at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Good morning to you. Welcome back to the program, Andrea. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, get things started here, Andrea. Let's talk about the history of this day and how long Canada has been observing International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination something that the world has uh, been celebrating and marking since March 21st, uh, 1960. So we know that in that day, in 1960, police officers killed 69 people at a demonstration against apartheid in South Africa, and it was in a black township. Ever since then, I think the urgency of ending racial discrimination and remembering how racial discrimination fits into other forms of discrimination has been, um, you know, the way that this day has been marked. I think today, 2023, it is still as urgent as it was in 1960. Um, and, you know, I'm really glad that we're getting the opportunity to talk about it and what that means today. Well, you know, within the introduction, we say observing International Day for Elimination of Racial Discrimination. How does combating racism look? Uh, How does it look uh, to you? Because we're using the term combat and we're using the term racism. What does that look like? Well, it means a lot of things. And I'm, I'm thinking particularly in the Canadian Women's Foundation's context. You know, we look at 
the way race discrimination also intersects with things like gender inequality and, and you know all the different forms of discrimination together so i think it's important for us to recognize that racism is an issue and it comes out lots of different ways it can be individual yes but we also see systemic dynamics you see unequal outcomes for racialized people for black indigenous and people of color so that's one way of looking at it the other thing that i think is really important for us is to recognize how women and girls and two-spirit trans and non-binary people who are racialized it's worse outcomes it's that combination of gender injustice and racial injustice together that we look at we recognize those intersections as well and and try to look at not only uncovering them but doing strategic things to change this that the outcomes are better, that the opportunities are better, and we kind of correct, course correct, historical injustices. Andrea, you mentioned uh, you know earlier in the conversation that this was sparked from uh, 60 years ago in a, an incredibly violent uh, and, and tragic protest. In 2023, it doesn't have to be an incredibly violent and tragic protest or incident because we're now online a lot. So if you can tell us about how the online world in many ways can help us as a society, can hinder us when it comes to hate speech and racism being spread, how much of a a hurdle is that? Well, you know, I see the the online discussions, the digital violence that happens as a two-sided piece. You see that there's so much more hate and harassment content, especially against women and racialized people online in in spaces like social media so that has become so so terrible and awful and we're seeing a lot of outcomes and you know it just because it happens in a digital space doesn't mean it doesn't hurt people individually it absolutely does and it actually hurts us all collectively we see these numbers that many people in canada now say they don't even want to participate in digital spaces because they see too much content of hate and harassment and it hurts their ability to participate in that. So that's one element that I see that is so damaging. But then there's another element that we are able to uncover and talk about racism and talk about solutions so much more quickly and more collectively because of digital media. So I think we have to look at harnessing digital media and online spaces for good, create better safety mechanisms in place, have a sense of digital citizenship, digital literacy, so that we can cut through the lies and use it as a space that's healthy to talk about good things that we want. But we know that most people in Canada want to see an end to discrimination. This is what all the polls say. All forms of discrimination, including racial discrimination and sexism, people by and large in Canada do not believe in. I take hope in that. We don't believe in it. Now let's start doing actions towards that. And let's get ourselves on a better track because we have a terrible history to undo and to remake into a better future. Andrea, when you reference, you know, the using the digital and online world for a positive, uh, you know, the Canadian Women's Foundation, how important and how focused are you and your organization on going after the younger set and, and educating the younger set? Because I think that's where we would want to start. And that's where they are spending a lot of time online. Is that a real focus of your group? Absolutely. You know, young people, they are calling for justice. They're calling for equality in so many different ways, and they're doing it online, too. I think their voices are loudest, and I'm thankful to young people for that. So part of our work is really amplifying that good call for change that young people have been doing across all sectors, 
And I think the other thing that we're trying to do as well, too, is make sure that there are programs and supports in place in every province and territory so that they can be safer in speaking their voices online and that they can be safer with one another, that they can understand what it means to be a good digital citizen, how to eliminate violence and racism and abuse in their speech, in their interactions with each other. I think the other thing that we have to do as well, too, is hold the social media platforms accountable for the ways that they have created and perpetuated unsafe spaces. I know these are private companies, but they're private companies with public outcomes, huge public outcomes. So I think there's policy and practices that need to be moved in that way. And that's one of the things that we're calling for, not only us, also our sister organizations like YWCA Canada and LEAF Canada. We are all working together to try to make spaces better, safer, and make sure that young people and everybody who's at high risk, including women and racialized people, have that reduced risk and see safety in these spaces and elimination of racism and discrimination at large. We know, we know, Andrea, that the racial discrimination has no borders, but I'm wondering, because we are Canadian here, can we give Canada a report card to a certain extent when it comes to uh, where we stand in any progress we've made regarding uh, combating racial discrimination? Well, I think in some ways there have been improvements. We've seen better programs, policies, and practices. We've seen more data. Sometimes this data was really hard to find about discrimination and racism and all the different forms that it takes, all the intersections. We're seeing more of that. Researchers are doing great work, and great research leads to policy and practice changes that we really need across sectors. But I think that we have a long way to go. In corporate Canada, for instance, we see that women are increasing in numbers in leadership positions. But when you look at it from a racism perspective, so looking at women of color, Indigenous women, Black women, you're seeing their numbers still really, really tiny in leadership positions. So how can you have great corporate leadership? How can you have great organizations when you don't have representation? That's something we have to improve. Another thing that we're seeing as well, too, we're seeing that more and more people are talking and challenging gender-based violence. But gender-based violence is highly a, a risk for Black and Indigenous and women of color. And I think we have to look at if we're going to make women safer, if we're going to eliminate all safety risks to women, we have to have really coherent strategies to end gender-based violence for those highest at risk, and that includes women of color and racialized women. So I think that we're seeing some progress, we're seeing some reductions, we're seeing some backsliding, and some kind of keeping the course. So we have a lot of different areas that we can work on. And I think one of the things that we all have to do, just getting practical to the day-to-day, is what are you going to do when you vote? That's a moment where you can ask for accountability to leaders. And if leaders are not telling you how they're eliminating racism, how they're going to end racism against women, for instance, against two-spirit trans and non-binary people, because they're doubly impacted. If you don't like their answer, don't vote for them. That's one thing we can all do. Yeah, We're tight for time, but thank you for your time this morning, Andrew. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Andrea Gunraj, Vice President, Public Engagement at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Of course, today is International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Tech Tuesday with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Now, remember the good old days of video rentals? Browsing the aisles for the latest releases before picking up your candy at the counter? Sometimes the fresh smell of popcorn in the air? Well, a big name in the video rental industry could be making a comeback. Gadget guy, Mike Yanni, joins us this morning and... uh, 
maybe getting our hopes up on the return of Blockbuster Video. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Andy. I know I'm I'm a little excited. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little excited about the news that this could happen. Yeah, that, it, that it could, but I know you're teasing us because we want to get to some serious business before we have fun. Um, if you have a certain type of cell phone, you've got a real user beware, right? Oh, big time. This, this is a pretty big issue. So here's a question for you, Andy. When you get a notification on your smartphone saying there's a new update, are you one of those people that, oh, I'm updating it right now, or do you kind of just wait a little while? I put it off till it it's, gets annoying because it's uh, 18 yeah. times later, like over the a week or two period. Then I say I got to update it. Well, here's a reminder of why you should update right away. So this impacts uh, people with Pixel 6, Pixel 7 smartphones, and the Samsung Galaxy S22 smartphone. So Google actually discovered it with their own internal security team uh, that hackers can get access to your information by simply knowing your phone number. So when we're talking about getting access, I mean, this is, this is information flowing in and out of your smartphone. So this means text. Mm-hmm. They have access to images that you might be sending and even access to your phone calls. So, I mean, they're obviously work is on the way to work on patches right now, security patches to, to figure this out and what's happening. Uh, and Google's basically saying right now to stay safe, if you have Wi-Fi calling on your phone, mm-hmm. turn it off for right now just to make sure that, you know, no one's going to tap into your phone. Uh, but this is basically one of 18 giant exploits that were discovered by Google, uh, and they're not telling us everything. There are other exploits they don't even want to say what can happen, so they're kind of keeping some of the information a secret right now, so huge vulnerability, but expect in the next week, or it could be even coming days, there are going to be some security patches, so if you do get that notification, especially if you have a Pixel 6, a Pixel 7, or the Galaxy S22, make sure you update it right away. Okay, now not to say that we, we shouldn't update it right away, but it seems to me that you're indicating, Mike, that it's a little more vulnerable on, on networks like Wi-Fi and not necessarily the network. Is that right at this point? Yeah, basically, especially with the uh, phone calls because you don't want, obviously, people tapping into your phone calls. So that's why Google's saying turn off your Wi-Fi calling just to sure, make sure because apparently that helps. Uh, kind of block that hole. But you know what? This, this opens up a bigger conversation too, Andy, about, you know, at one point it was, you know, hackers are after your PC. We saw that for years, you know, where the, they put uh, software on your computer that you can't get in until you pay a ransom. Uh, but now more and more, uh, we're seeing the attacks on the smartphones because our smartphones, they're our computers now. We do everything. We do banking. We do work. We do everything on them. So this is just, you know, the beginning of much more to come. Well, and you look at the younger set, like the millennials, for example, and even my teens, they avoid the computer unless they absolutely have to because they can do they can print from their phones they can do their school that's a very good point mike yeah no it's so easy to do everything from your phone so we all, of course we all use them more all right well that's current day now it's time to go back in time now i remember whether or not it's uh, you know the blockbuster the rogers video the jumbo video but let's be honest blockbuster was king i loved going to blockbuster to pick up the vhs and then down the line dvds we know that they're gone i think there was one in oregon left over but they're Still gone is. Still is. A Bend, Oregon still okay. has the one and only um, Blockbuster. But maybe that's changing, Andy, because over the weekend, Blockbuster reignited. They lit up their uh, original Blockbuster website. It's now back in action. Yeah. And if you visit it, there's a message saying, we are working on rewinding your movie. And not only that, they actually relit their social media accounts as well. So something... Something is happening, and the big question is what? Fans are speculating that maybe, you know, vinyls making a comeback. 
could this be a resurgence of some tor- uh, some uh, sort of the you know the rental stores, or is it just you know good social marketing? Um, you know, it it begs the question: what's going to happen? I personally think streaming. Maybe there is a new streaming service that's going to be called Blockbuster. Will it take off? I'm not sure, but there's certainly that nostalgia there, right? Well, one of the things that I was talking about with some friends when I when I read a quick article, I'm glad we could do a deep dive here. I, I, I said the same thing. I think that I think, and you'll know better than I am, uh, do that it was owned by the Dish Network, Blockbuster, the Blockbuster brand now. Um, yeah. Now, if you had a streaming service and you kept the subscription rate very, very low per month, but could charge like a toonie to rent any one of the movies you want. It would add up or even a loony if you've got that cheap subscription service that, that includes a lot of different content but particularly picking out an old movie that would be fantastic yeah you know but of course getting the rights to all those movies yeah, there it is. But, you're, but you're right though it's owned by a satellite company you know so they clearly have channels and they have rights to certain things so it's certainly a possibility but here's the bigger question too though too little too late Think about Napster. Remember when Napster came out? Of course, you know, everyone was using it, then they got shut down. And then, of course, the legit sites where you can actually buy your MP3s came out. And then Napster came back and said, we're back. You can buy now from us. And it just didn't do well. The name didn't hold anything anymore. So I'm curious, if Blockbuster came back, could it make a go of it? I would love to think it would because you're right. There's nostalgia and that, that feeling of, you know, a Friday night, you know, going in and searching for your favorite movies. It was a thrill of the hunt. Um, I don't know if it works the same as streaming, but part of me wants it to happen. I can't wait. But the other part of it is who has a DVD player? That's the other. A lot of the computers don't have them anymore unless you have a PS3 or an old school DVD player. It's going to be interesting, though. That, but but they've, you know what? We're talking about it, right? Yeah, no, exactly. But you're right. We've packed away all, all of our players. Don't have one in the house anymore. <laughs> so maybe maybe there's another market for players again. Who knows? But I am super interested. Thanks so much for the update, Mike. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. That is Mike Yanni. We call him the Gadget Guy. You can find out what he's all about online at Gadget Guy Mike. And on YouTube, tons of videos on his channel. On YouTube, just search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni.